Hi everyone, I'm Bassam Salem. Welcome to a special live edition of Mindshare Matters. Today, my guest is a wonderful friend, Pete Jones. Uh, I'm so excited for Pete to share his story with you, uh, his roots in Lubbock, Texas as an engineer and uh, his culminating uh, act of running a very, very successful engineering business. I'm absolutely certain you're gonna enjoy it. So let's get into this. All right, Pete, so tell us a little bit about growing up in Lubbock, Texas. What was that like? Um, so there are a few Texas people, right? Did I hear at least one? Um, I grew up in, in Lubbock is a small town in West Texas in the Panhandle. And so there's a Texas Panhandle as well as the as an Idaho, Florida, Florida, Florida Panhandle, Panhandle Idaho. Yeah, there's a Panhandle. They're all, all Panhandles. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of the, <laughs> the northwestern part of Texas, kind of, okay. you know, where Amarillo is a couple hours south. Okay. But there's not much out there. And I really enjoyed growing up. I guess you don't know any different when you grow up somewhere, but it was a it was a good experience. Um, but it's a small town, small enough that um, small enough that you still have a lot of local politics and all the things you get with a small town, but large enough that it's not everyone doesn't know your name at the store. So it was it was a, um, a good opportunity to, to be a part of a community and be a part of, um, be a part of uh, just the, all the local, you know, we, we didn't leave for vacations very often. We didn't, didn't leave Lubbock very often. Um, so when I, was looking at where am I going? What am I going to do after high school? Um, the majority of people, it's home to Texas Tech, and a lot of it's, so the university is the largest employer there. Um, a lot of a lot of my friends just stayed, but I realized I needed to get out. So you knew that in high school. I knew that in high school. Yeah, I wanted. I, I didn't. And most people who leave Lubbock, it's one of those towns that you end up coming back. So most of my friends have landed back there or somewhere close. Wow. Are your parents still there? My parents are still there. Wow. Yeah. They're alive and I have two sisters who have boomeranged back who left and they have come back as well. Amazing. Yeah. Okay, so there's a stereotype that everyone in Texas plays football in high school. I think you have to. Did you you have to? <laughs> did you play football? I did. I played football uh, in high school as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Uh, what was what were if if you were to uh, um, put the stereotypical label on you, would you have been a jock? I mean, we know that you're a CrossFit maniac now. Um, I think I was, I was a below average athlete, but I was able to, able to play awesome. Texas high school football, which was, which was crazy, especially coming out here. And I think, you know, I'm involved with the football program here now, but um, you know, we played games, just a regular Friday night, High school game was ten to fifteen thousand people we play oh in front gosh. of, and now we come out to these high school games and there's five hundred, so it's a little bit. You're, you're serious, ten to fifteen thousand people yeah. for a high school game. Yeah. Wow. Does that, the does the U get that many people? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. So where what what process did you go through to decide where you wanted to go to college? You want to get away from Texas for for a while. Um, 
yeah, I wish I wish I had the the knowledge I have now back then, but I didn't look very far. So mm -hmm. I looked to state schools um, for financial reasons, yeah. and then a couple out of state for athletics, um, and ended up picking Texas A and M because I at oh, that cool. time believed I wanted to be an engineer. So it was the best engineering school in state. Absolutely, that I could get into. And what, what what kind of engineering did you? So I started off with electrical engineering and did wow. two years there, and then switched to a program that they they actually pioneered. And now twenty eight different engineering colleges have entered, uh, have adopted the curriculum, and it's called industrial distribution. So yeah. basically, figuring out how products get to market, kind of kind of boring. That's when people That's, start to yawn a little bit. No, they had that. I mean, you're not that old, but they had that back then. Yep. Uh, that seems yeah, like a pretty progressive. I think I was the 22nd graduating class. Um, wow. So it, it had been around a while when I was back there. Wow. And Texas A&M is in? College Station, but kind of by Houston, between Houston, Waco, and Austin. If you do a triangle, it's kind of it's right in the middle. bullseye between them all. So you graduate from there, and what do you decide to do next? Um, so probably like most college graduates, had no idea of what was next. Uh, started with a company, I, I interviewed a ton just because I was like, if I'm paying all this money, I'm taking all these loans out to get through school, at least I'm gonna see what's out there. Um, and that was some big encouragement from my dad of just like, just give it your best, see what happens. And if you don't, then uh, I took a, took a little bit of time off why I love the mountains so much. Being a guy from West Texas is, I took a year off while I was at A&M and went and lived in Vail and really fell in love with the mountains. So that was my backup plan. If, I, if work didn't work out, I was just gonna go live in the mountains and ski. Well, that's really, so in the middle of college, you mm -hmm. took you took a, a gap year. I did. That's really cool. Yeah. I didn't know that about Probably not a gap year that most people take of like very purposeful of an internship or no, something like that. That is the, the, the seeing another place, uh, yeah. having experiences. That, for the whole year you were in? in uh, I was in Vail for like nine months and really then cool. came back. So it was basically the, the spring semester and most of the summer and then came back to start back up in the fall. Really cool. Yeah. I didn't know that about you. All right, and next. So you, you, where did you land as you, um, as you applied? So I took a, I took a job with, in fact, this is, I mean, I, I never thought this was very um, significant, but my first flight, we grew up, I grew up in a lower middle-class family. Um, my first flight I ever took was um, one of the companies that I had a second interview with flew uh, eight of us out on their private jet from Texas A&M to Memphis. And I was like, oh, this is this is not bad. I like wow. traveling. This yeah. is, this is <laughs> Little did I know that was going to be the last private jet I saw for a long time. That wasn't something they, they, they fly people around on. Except the security for. process is awesome. Yeah, this yeah. is great. I don't know what people are talking about. This flying thing works. So um, I ended up taking a job with that company in Memphis, and it was a an electrical manufacturing company. Uh -huh. So they manufactured a lot of products that... Uh, that no one ever sees. There's stuff that go, goes into the wall, stuff that makes um, electrical systems function. But wasn't. And so whenever I'd explain to my mom, I think for the first three years that she was like, now what do you do? You're, are you an engineer? I was like, kind of, I'm in sales mom, but she never really figured out what it was. Um, and they moved me around quite a bit. And that was exciting to me as well because I hadn't seen much of the country. So they moved me to Tennessee and then to Phoenix, Vegas, and then up here. And that's wow. how I ended up in Utah. That's how you ended up in Utah. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Now, you sort of threw in there, Mom, I'm in sales. You just said that. How did you balance engineering and sales? And did you always know you're clearly a great salesperson? Did you know that from the beginning or did they? No. Did that just come out in that job? So um, one of the, 
I think uh, realizations I had in the tons of interviews, I, I think I did 60 first interviews or somewhere in that number. So that's a lot of wow. interviewing for a college senior. But I, I was looking at things from consulting, management consulting to uh, heavier engineering to sales and marketing. Um, there were some like really hands-on jobs. And, um, and I, I, as through that process, I kind of figured out, I think this is where I want to go. I have, mm. I really have no idea, but I think if I can get in with a large company, that's going to give me a lot of exposure. And the program that these guys hired me for was they wanted you to work five different disciplines in five years in five States. So it's like, well, at least that'll give me some exposure to a lot of, a lot of different. Um, and it was all on the sales and marketing side. So if I don't like that after five years, I can move into something else. That's really cool. Pete. Yeah. I, I didn't realize that's how you came to Utah. Yeah. And then at some point you decided to do something different? Yeah, so in 2000, um, the company that I was working for was going through, if it was post Enron, uh, there'd be a lot of people in jail, but they had they had jimmied with the stock numbers quite a bit and uh, the share price fell from 63 to 13 overnight. I could see the writing on the wall that this looks like this company was going down. And even if it wasn't, I would kind of maxed out of what I wanted to do with that company. Um, so I started looking around, had some great advice from some people that I'd met in Park City um, with a business that I was looking at, an ancillary business that did something similar to what I did in sales. Mm. And um, I was 26 at the time. And uh, they said, you know, you can't make a bad financial decision that you can't recover from in your 20s. So take mm. the chance. Um, so I saw this company and started working with the owner and he was a, an older gentleman, had three employees. Older like our age. <laughs> he was 62, so oh, a couple uh, years older than us, <laughs> but we are in that category or rapidly approaching. Um, and so I took the, uh, just took the opportunity to awesome. buy him out. And he said, I'm gonna stay on for 10 years and help you with this company. Um, 18 months later, he stopped showing up for work. And a couple years after that passed away. So. Here I am in my late 20s running this company that I had really no idea what I was doing, but um, that's the, still the company that I have now. We've, we've changed the name and um, we're 19 employees and a few other states that we cover and a few other product lines, but so that's what I'm doing now. Pete, how did you in your 20s, having worked for an engineering firm, make the decision to buy out a business and become a business owner like that that's not normal as as eric says hashtag not normal um you know i don't um as i know when i was going through the process uh you know there were a couple boxes i had to check i i didn't have a lot of money but i did have enough saved up that i could basically i remember actually going to uh i was living with a couple guys who are still here in park city and going to them and saying hey guys i may not be able to make rent for a while are you guys up for, you know, if I, if I do this thing, they're, you know, as cavalier as can be sure, whatever, take care of you if it doesn't work. So, um, I remember coming home one day with a bank statement and I showed the guys, I said, guys, this is how much money I have. And I had $6 in my account, $6 left as a 26 year old. Cause I cashed out my 401k and took everything that I had to, to put into this. Um, but again, it was that advice that, um, as I started looking at it, it was a small company. It was something manageable for my for my small brain of, you know, it was only uh, about $700,000 in revenue and it was only three employees. And it was something I said, yeah, I think I can, I can make Thank this goodness. better. Um, and so it, and then the encouragement of others to say, 
take a chance. Take a chance at this point. If it doesn't work out, there's a lot of people that will hire you throughout the rest of your life. So, Can you put yourself back in that younger person's shoes 20 years ago and remember what the biggest surprises were or surprise was as you transitioned to owner as as, mm. as the uh, ex-owner moved on? Yeah, I, I, I actually, I can. I know that uh, a lot of entrepreneurs read that book, The E-Myth, and really the E-Myth of the difference of working in the business and working on the business. And I was really good working in the business and I'd proved myself with the customer base and, and the manufacturers. But working on the business, I feel like I learned more in the first year than I did in four years of college, just understanding all the dynamics. And it really hit home hard for me the first year because I had no idea that um, you could only amortize goodwill over a 15-year straight-line depreciation schedule. And instead, I had been paying off at a higher rate. So at the end of the year, I looked at the balance sheet, looked at the P&L, and then looked at the taxes owed, and it was more than we had made that year. And I was like, wait a second. How does this how does this actually work? So it was definitely like drinking from a fire hose, but that working on the business, trying to figure out um, really all the all the blind spots I had and realizing that they're all blind spots. I didn't I didn't know really anything about managing or running a business. I think it's so inspiring. Again, you went from engineering to engineering sales to owning a business and figuring out what a balance sheet or a PL were. And I'm assuming you did that on your own. Yeah, I had a lot of help along the way. I mean, there's been some some great mentors that I've had here that I can um, that have directed me to plug me into great people here in Utah that I've gotten to know. Um, and just along the way, I continue as a lifelong learner. I continue to look for programs and and opportunities to to grow. A few years ago, I went through the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses right, yeah. program, and I know you know a lot of people in Park City who have done that too. And that was huge. It's just, again, just exposing blind spots and opportunities um, just to widen, broaden your horizons and, and look at things a little differently. So now 20 years later, um, uh, how do you see yourself now versus back then? I think um, the presumption is entrepreneurs are these confident, all-knowing mm. people, um, certainly with 20 years under your belt. Yeah. Feel that way. Yeah. Good. Good question too. I think um, for a long time, and this is something I don't know if all entrepreneurs struggle with, but I know a lot of them do. Um, I just I had this imposter syndrome. Like, what am I doing here? I would show up to meetings as a 26 year old, and the next youngest person would be 30 years my senior. Like, do I really know what I'm doing? Um, and even 20 years later, there's still some of that in me of like, wow, am I? I'm just this kid from a small town in West Texas, do I really know what I'm doing? And we can't show this podcast to yeah, my employees, no, don't tell them that. <laughs> um, Can we make sure we do that right now? <laughs> exclude? No, no. Um, yeah. So that's, that's, uh, that's something that's still, still, I don't know if it's, uh, you know, it ever goes away, but I've realized that, um, and there's some freedom in it, I've realized that I'm not much of a creative person. Mm. In fact, some recent personality assessments I've taken have shown that I have very little on that creation gene. And that's kind of what I always thought an entrepreneur was, someone who created something big and then got a great team around them to run it. Um, and I, I see that in what you've done throughout your career as well. And I really, I really have um, appreciated and um, 
yeah, it's been something that I've, I've really admired in these entrepreneurs. And I didn't have, I don't have that quality of this like idea out of thin air. Um, but where I score very high on these, these assessments is in collaboration. So I've been able to build a good team around me. And although I don't have these good ideas, I'll hear someone say something. I say like, Drew, say that again. That was genius. Let's, and then, you know, let's, let's figure out how do, how do we implement this? And, uh, and so that's been really what's been kind of behind my success. I think for the last, since I've been able to identify that for the last 15 years. So Pete, with, with that 20 years of hindsight, figuring all of that out, um, if you could distill the lesson to your 26 year old self that you wish he knew before mm -hmm. he was 30 to avoid a few mistakes that he made or may have made, what would that be? Mm. Maybe uh, just letting me know that not, that everyone doesn't have it figured out. They all may look like they've had it figured out, but we're all struggling in this. We're all going through one step at a time. Again, coming back to that feeling like, you know, I would have these dreams wake and wake up going like, someone's going to, someone's going to realize that I'm just this, still this 26 year old kid from Texas. What is like, say, what, what are you doing here at this table? You shouldn't be here. So, I think that, and also enjoy your hair. I would have told my 26 year old son <laughs> that because that didn't last very long either. That's awesome. Um, how about as you look in the, over for the next 20 years, what, what, uh, what's your vision for the company and for yourself? Oh, I am. It's, it's tough. It's hard for me even to look out for the next five years. Um, we're continuing to, to grow in the engineering services world. We have a, a sales organization right now, and six years ago, we started an engineering company to help integrate these sales, these mm -hmm. products in, and solutions into these large companies that we're selling to. Um, I think we're going to be more focused on the engineering sales than the actual, and, and the engineering side of it than the product sales. Um, that seems to be what's more valued in the marketplace and what mm -hmm. more people are asking for. So. If I had a crystal ball, uh, and that's the thing about a small business, right? You pivot so quickly. I, I akin it to a, a battleship rather than an aircraft carrier. You see an opportunity and you can jump over to it where the larger companies take a long time. By the time they get there, it's already moved. So right now, I would say we're, we're pivoting in the marketplace to say we're going to focus more on um, the engineering side of it uh, and continue to try to grow that out. Before I turn it over to the team for much better questions, if you could push pause on your professional life and everything could just pause, wouldn't that be a dream, by the way, mm -hmm. pause for one year and you could do anything at all but the business because it's now paused, what would you do with a, with a year, wow. a free year, do whatever you want? I don't think there's better questions than that. That's a good question. Um, I think, you know, I have a 15 year old, an 11 year old and a seven year old, and they're all in this French speaking French immersion program We're we're because of COVID weren't able to go to France last year, but we had planned a long trip there. Mm. I think that would take them and expose them to a lot of the world That's and really cool. go, go let them, let them see more than just what I saw as a, as a kid growing up in a small town in West Texas. Cool. Thanks, Pete. Well, with that, let me turn it over to the team and maybe great questions from Drew. I do have two. Uh-oh. First of all, where'd you get those boots? 
<laughs> in Texas. Okay. Yes. Second, you talked about mentors and people who helped you, and I, I hear that a lot with people who have been successful. But on the on the flip side, in the business, how do you how have you gone about choosing who you hire or bring on and and be in the company with you? Braden, do I need to rephrase it, or or can you hear it well? You can hear it, great. Um, from a, from a more mentoring standpoint, or just as we're as we're trying to have criteria to bring on the next leaders of the company. More of the latter. Um, so a few years ago, we we as a company, we all read this book called The Ideal Team Player. I don't know if you guys have have seen that. Um, but it talks about just this mix. If you never read the book, I'll give you the, the cliff notes so you can tell people you did, or at least you know about it. But it, it gives a mix of what makes the ideal team player. Mm -hmm. um, and again, I need this team around me, and that's what I figured out. And they said the ideal mix um, is, or the ideal team player has three qualities, and they're hungry, humble, and smart. Um, hungry, they, they have a drive to come to work. Um, humble and the fact that they're, and that's the easiest one to fake, but that they actually are willing to listen and learn and grow. And then smart, not like Harvard MBA book smart, but smart with people. Know when to talk, know when to, um, know when to shut up. And that's been something that uh, we've used as, as kind of the lens through which we look when we hire anyone. And instead of just bringing in someone, I've got a team now that we always, uh, we always have multiple people interview. In fact, we're still so small. Sometimes with key hires, we let everyone interview that person when they come in and trying to look through those lens and being very purposeful to try to determine those few things. After that, you know, their skill sets, you know, if you have engineering, you have to have a double E or something like that. But for, for the most part, um, that's what we've used as, as a little bit of a lens. We're a little familiar with those, aren't we? <laughs> those, those words are unfamiliar. <laughs> Is that a book that you guys have read? or uh, We use Happy, Humble, Hungry, Horsepower. Those are our four. Oh. Happy, Happy humble, hungry, hungry, Horsepower. I like that. It's good. Great question, Drew. Mike. I'm sorry, say that again. What are the biggest risks to your business, and how do you mitigate them? Now, Mike? Um, so we have a lot of uncontrollable risks, um, and we've, they've really come to light this year with, um, supply chain, right? We, we sell products and solutions that someone else manufactures. So we're not in control of our own destiny there. And when supply chain's broken, whether it's raw materials or, you know, factory shutdowns because of COVID or trucking and transportation issues to get the product to market, that has a huge impact on our market, uh, on our, our, sorry, on our, on our ability to sell and our profitability. Um, and so that's, that's one of the reasons that we're looking to pivot toward a more engineered solution sell. That, those are things that we can control. We can hire engineers. We can go out to our customer base and provide a service that we're not reliant on supply chain or supply chain deficiencies to, uh, to, to get to market. Yeah, good question. Next question. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I don't think, think I'm very good at that, but I, I'm trying. Um, we, have, we have meetings uh, every Monday morning for an hour and a half, um, the whole company for half an hour, and then we, we break out and to have um, separate meetings, more focused meetings. Um, and we, I encourage everyone during those times to you know, speak to what they see. Um, we did a, an, a, I forgot what the, uh, there's a, a local Utah um, attorney firm down in uh, Salt Lake, and Draper called, well, Sandy, come on, where you're from, right? Um, <laughs> York, Howell, and Guyman. And they, they uh, one of the owners put together this, this game called Rivets. And the, the purpose of it was to encourage um, high net worth families to pass on not, a not only their, um, their money and their assets in a tax-free or a tax-advantaged way, but really what these individuals want to pass on our values. And so it's a, it's a, it was a way for them to have a value discussion um, in some weird, in some tough dynamics. Family dynamics are probably the toughest that I know. And so they adapt, adapted that to, um, to businesses as well. And we hired them as a consultant. They came in and helped us all understand um, not only who we are as a company, what's the DNA of the company as a whole, but what does each person value? Um, and through that process, what we got to see was, although as a company, we've stacked hands on these are our values, not everyone in the company has those exact same values. Um, and so what do we do with that? And um, it got, got us to a point, and I started this, I started going down this road because I was really excited about having that mission statement or vision statement on the wall, right? I'm like, well, big companies have that. I need that thing. So um, so that was my deliverable. I really wanted out of this exercise. And what came out of it was, um, yeah, we got that on the wall. That's great. And that was not only something that, you know, it wasn't something that I just pinned and said, everyone fall in line, but it was a real representation of the whole company. Um, so that was great. But the actual, the bigger benefit that I saw that came out of it was each person had their own set of values, some of which weren't even um, the same as what we're on the board, but together as a group, that's who we were. So we started saying, well, wait a second, if this person has values humor, that's, you know, we're not a comedy club, but how do we, how do we implore, not just allow someone to use humor in their day-to-day uh, -day viewing of the situation that we're in, but how do we implore them to, to come with compassion or with humor or with humility or things that are all amazing uh, values, but um, how do we, they, they don't, they don't line up exactly with who we are, but that's who each person is. So from a collaboration standpoint, I hope, and what we're trying to do is not only um, ask people and give them license to, but really push them to say, tell us your different viewpoint. As we're going down this road, we have these lens of values that we've stacked hands on as a company, and this is how we make these big decisions but you see things differently and everyone sees things differently, right? If we did that same exercise in here, um, everyone would see things a little differently. And so it not only gave, um, gave us an opportunity to ask those questions, but I hope empowered people to say, hey, I don't see things the way you do, so I wanna speak up instead of a, I guess I gotta fall in line with, with how the company works. So long answer to a short question, <laughs> sorry. Pete, Drew asked you, how you pick candidates. You have 19 people now 
on the team. You're taking a one week vacation and you think to yourself, I'm so glad I have A or B on the team. Mm. Well, as vulnerably and honestly as you can, knowing that others may listen to this, what would you say makes A or B so special? Well, I, and number one, I think, um, so we, we went through, this was a few years ago when I had a, um, a different structure, but we had every single person had a direct report that was very clearly defined. We have that now, but um, we have such an autonomous group mm-hmm. and we had to really um, rely on everyone as when COVID hit and we all went home and worked from home, we really realized that every single person can function and has that hunger that doesn't need, you know, someone looking over them. Um, so everyone in our office, uh, has that, you know, it's, it's, you know, we need to, I need to leave at two o'clock to pick up my daughter or to go to a dentist appointment. We're not looking over someone's shoulder. We, we still are working to get the, the job done every day. Um, but I will say I have a, uh, a few, a few years back, I think it's five years ago. I promoted one of my salesmen to a director role, a director of sales, and pulled him off direct accounts. And so he has uh, seven individuals who report to him. And the the outside sales team's a little bit harder to corral sometimes, and he does a really good job with that of, mm-hmm. of keeping them focused. But, um, yeah, I don't want to say the office runs by itself because they definitely, we all need direction. Um, but they all do a really good job of understanding what's expected of them. And, and working hard. And what did you see in that person that you promoted to director? Uh, why were they different? Um, so they were probably a really good salesperson. Really good salesperson. So you, you yes. lose that now. Yeah. You lose that out of them. Right. Um, I think the word I would, would point to would be galvanization. Like mm-hmm. they had the ability in sales. Um, and I heard some of you guys are sales in the sales side of the business here. Um, you know, you don't have a lot of authority, especially over your customers. You just have influence and someone who can build consensus among a group. A sale is no longer one person to one person. It's building consensus internally with your company and then building consensus um, with the, the customer that you're selling. And this guy had those qualities of being able to bring a group together, um, the qualities that, that aren't, aren't at the top of my list. Um, yeah. And... I don't know if I would have been able to articulate that word before, but I can I can say with some confidence that he's got that ability to bring bring that customer group together and bring our team together. That's really cool. That's really cool. Thank you. Yeah. Are there questions from the team? All right. <laughs> I played, I'm, I'm going to tell you this and you're going to laugh because you're saying Texas football. I played defensive end. It was like a 5-3, so it was an outside linebacker, basically, on the weak side. So, um, yeah, that's, I'm a small. So uh, my, my mom saves everything, and she had, like, in Texas publishes this football, high school football, and she gave that to my wife recently. And so we looked through it, and I was the lightest person on the defensive line by a hundred pounds for, for my district, not for my team, for my district by a hundred pounds. So I, I did get hit in the head a lot. You should see. <laughs> or overhead. Yeah. Or overhead squat. Yeah. 
Great. Well, thank you guys for yeah. letting me come in. This was, it's great to understand a little bit more about what you do and meet everyone here. And I love the, the culture. This is, this is really amazing. Wow. Pete, thanks it's for making the time for us this morning. Thanks a lot. Have a thank great you. day. Thank, thank you. you. No, thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.